Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. The following is a presentation of the Four Center podcast feed. From the center of the galaxy, this is the Four Center podcast feed. I'm Ken Nelson. And I'm Joseph Scrimshaw. This is one of our news and cues episode. The cues stands for questions. In the news stands for news. We've got actually a lot of news. It's coming in hot and fresh, right, Ken? It's like donuts. Donuts of news. Oh, I love donuts and I love news and I want donuts of news. And yeah, by the time you all are listening to this, it's just a normal uh, stress-free release uh, of this episode. But uh, we had to delay a little bit to read a cool little interview with Leslie Headland or read it. 
listen to it. I don't even know the words I'm using to describe what we had to do, Joseph. We had to do it. Before we get to all that, uh, let's remind you today's podcast is brought to you by Audible. Get a free audiobook download and a 30-day free trial at audibletrial.com slash four center over 108 titles, a thousand titles to choose from for your iPhone, Android, Kindle, or MP3 player. We'll uh, dive into the news here in just a second. As always, it's a chance for Joseph and I to catch up and then, well, maybe you all can join in and listen in to us just being friends. Uh, just a <laughs> big, uh, big weekend without a doubt. Big uh, week last week, uh, stressful in a lot of ways, uh, historic in, in uh, many, many, many ways. So how are you doing and did you find time to connect Star Wars to life? Oh, yeah, no, definitely a lot of adventure in life, a lot of adventure in uh, Star Wars. Uh, we largely try to stick to Star Wars, but, uh, you know, at, at a certain point, there's there's some uh, beliefs and truths that I have that are hard to deny. And uh, and I am extremely happy uh, that Biden and Harris won the presidency. And I am uh, not alone in that. There are plenty of people uh, who are, are in that same uh, vein of celebration. And that was really the big life in Star Wars celebration coming together for me um, to see how many fans uh, connected to all the celebrations that were popping up everywhere to um, fireworks going off in London, bells ringing in Paris in connecting that to uh, the Ewok celebration and the number of people not only posting that, uh, but then posting like, wow, I was thinking that. And then to, to get into the Star Wars nerdery of it, you know, for me, growing up, growing up, someone who who grew up with the original trilogy, then uh, in my early adulthood, had a lot of people pushing back on the special editions to have people so loving, loving on the special editions of like, it's <laughs> like that scene where you cut from uh, Tatooine to you cut to Coruscant, you cut to the like in that that celebration. Um, and I even I, I had this kind of great moment of uh, of fear versus hope with my wife where I had posted about the Ewok celebrations. And I had said, yeah, you know, but for me, this is also really why I love Rise of Skywalker, because I think Rise of Skywalker, as we've talked about a lot, is about uh, the individual, but also the individual doing everything that they can to pursue what they believe is right. But then having hope that others will come to support them in, in a time of great need. And I had said to my wife, like, I kind of want to pose something about the moments in Rise of Skywalker that mean a lot to me, but I just don't want to spend today debating, you know, in my mentions whether or not that's a good movie. And my wife was just like, if you if you feel it, just celebrate it. So, you know, I had already done a tweet about the Ewoks. So, I, you know, I did an addition of like, you know what? I also like this moment in Rise of Skywalker. And it was really nice because, you know, the only comment I got back is from uh, somebody who's followed me on my personal Twitter for a long time. Uh, who I, I, I think is a person who likes Star Wars, but I, I'm not aware of that person being an uber Star Wars fan. Yeah. And they just tweeted, yeah, there are a lot of things I don't like about that movie, but I really love that moment. <laughs> it's just like, perfect. There you go. <laughs> that is the perfect, most joyful level of pushback I could get. So, um, yeah, th- so there's definitely that. Uh, the evening of Saturday, uh, my wife and I uh, watched Rise of the Skywalker, and it was really great to just sit back and watch it to just watch it. And a lot of fun moments, uh, little things like little creatures in corners and then kind of, kind of some thematic uh, strings that I've, I've noticed, but I haven't really thought about. So I really got to enjoy just uh, processing that. And, uh, and also just this weekend, I've just been thinking about the Mandalorian a lot. I'm, I know there's a lot of, you know, back and forth about how fast is the storyline moving, but I've just loved these first two episodes 
for myself. So I think I was just kind of sitting in a place of, of joy when it comes to Star Wars. Oh, that's a good spot to be. Yeah. <laughs> that's a good spot to be. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Just to see what is the one headline I'm trying, I, I should have, I think it was CNN. I don't know. Someone put out uh, uh, many uh, people er- erupt in celebration, but they use the word erupt. The yeah. Exact- I think it was like celebrations erupt. You know, around the country or around the world. I can't remember which one it was in yeah. the actual Chiron. But yeah, it was celebrations erupt. And I thought that was just, I loved that. I loved the use of that. Uh, that wasn't, quite frankly, wasn't what I was expecting this week to be in terms of eruptions. Uh, <laughs> you know, and yeah, you, you know, you never know when dark times suddenly come up. But, you know, just like I, it just, I had some fears going into this week of just people's reactions to any results that might have uh, come across. And what could it be? And 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 when hate and violence can sometimes um, sweep uh, the, the hearts and souls of, of folks real fast, real quick. And and I just don't know. And this has been a year of you know even just a little fabric uh, cloth b- across your face has incited some uh, pretty extreme actions. I I believe that's that's my opinion. Uh, uh, I, I agree with your opinion. And um, so I was worried. I was worried. And fear fear. Um, Fear is a real thing. You and I talk about it all the time here at Star Wars. But we also focused on hope last week, and hope literally erupts all <laughs> around the world. And, and hey, uh, you know, uh, there's still so much to happen going forward. Just uh, overall, not just in terms of the election or anything, but I'm just like, uh, you know, uh, this is a, it was a great to to press pause and and just experience that joy and see joy and feel relief and have people close to me feel relief and people close to you, including you, feel relief. <laughs> That's a powerful thing. And uh, I think it is really uh, interesting uh, that that, that what you said of to go to those special editions (laughs) and show everything. (laughs) And while George kind of felt, I really need to go back and show how this was taken beyond just one little village, uh, uh, an important village, but one little village in the trees. And that wasn't just fireworks and Ewoks dancing. It was a galaxy erupting into uh joy and relief and i uh i I think it all connects man it all connects and uh you could kind of just feel star wars a lot of tweets a lot of pictures a lot of uh, gifs gifs and memes uh, (laughs) of star wars and and that's a powerful testament uh to to the saga i really do believe uh mccartney says hey the beatles most of our songs are about love and that's a legacy i'll stand behind and be okay with uh star wars providing hope as a legacy, that's pretty damn good. And uh, uh, I like that the saga was present all through the weekend. Yeah, yeah. And I, and I think, you know, we had that conversation, that deep dive about hope, and we talked a, a lot about how, you know, hope is the first step. And as part of my joy on Saturday is, you know, even somebody who wanted this result in the election, I do not think we are done with uh, conversations. I don't think we are done with figuring out uh, many, many things. And I kind of expected... I think a part of me expected, even with this result, that a lot of people were going to be happy with and wanted to celebrate, that it would still immediately descend into, uh, yeah, but, yeah, but, yeah, but, you know. Um, And the fact that we could take this day to celebrate this victory and then go on to the next challenge. That, to me, is so much the spirit of of Star Wars and the the spirit of the way Leia talks about hope, the way Jyn Erso talks about hope of, uh, you know, we we face each challenge and we when we have a victory we celebrate the victory and then we move on to the next challenge and i it was great to celebrate that spirit as well there you go yeah 
gin comes up a lot during these conversations too. <laughs> hey, look at that. Look at that. Yeah. That's good. Well, that's that's kind of full life in Star Wars Adventures. I don't know if you have had anything else that you want to discuss, but that that's a lot. I think that's plenty. I think that's plenty. Let's dive into all our hot, fresh donuts and news. Yeah, absolutely. So, hey, we had some uh, real fun headlines we're going to get to in a second, but this one kind of uh, emerged uh, uh, Monday morning, which is when we record the News and Cues episodes here at Force Center to pull back that curtain. Uh, and Leslie Headland was interviewed by uh, Frankie on uh, Fantastic Frankie, a, a, a site and a brand that's uh, on YouTube a little smaller. She's got a, a pretty good Instagram presence, but, but uh, I bet after this, she'll have some more attention and well-deserved. A great interview, Joseph. And you and I kind of, I'm sure, took uh, notes here. We probably have little uh, similar things we're, we, we gravitated to. Uh, but let's just dive in what we thought of this interview, because it wasn't just, and I'll start here. A lot of times when you see, hey, so-and-so was on this podcast, and they talked about Star Wars. We do, we, you and McGregor, this happens three or four times uh, a month. It's <laughs> and you go to the interview, and there's a great two minutes about them talking about Obi-Wan's robe. I thought maybe with this, this would be the case. Well, about the 20-minute mark into this overall, I think, 45-minute interview, uh, no, they start talking about Star Wars, and they really do spend a lot of time because you can see the joy and love for Star Wars just kind of pouring out of Leslie Headland. So, uh, Joseph, let's dive in. Where did you gravitate to, to first and, and, and stuff that was covered? Yeah, so I think uh, I saw some tweets. Uh, somebody tweeted at us early this morning, which I always, always appreciate when people are excited about Star Wars news and, and want us to see it. Uh, and I scrolled through some of those tweets, saw some of the other tweets, and it was so great to just see it all in context because I think there are some great just... Uh, Leslie Headland was very careful about what she can and can't say about this project right now, but she said some stuff that's just really intriguing for us to, to have uh, fun speculating responsibly about what the series might be like. Uh, so there's some great stuff uh, about that. But then I think just seeing who this creator is and what her perspective is uh, as a fan, as a creator, her journey through Star Wars I think about that a lot. I think that the, the new Star Wars is formed a lot by what the creator experienced and loved at different points in their fandom. So it was great to see and hear that. Uh, I am a big fan of Russian Doll uh, that she worked on and was you know co-responsible for uh, as a creator uh, with Natasha Leone. Um, but this was the first time that I, I, I don't think I've watched a lot of interviews with her. Uh, mm -hmm. So I think one of the big picture headlines for me is to just see that she was such a great mix of incredibly knowledgeable, incredibly thorough, incredibly excited, very clear on herself what it means to be a fan, but also being really mindful of being inclusive to all other kinds of fandoms, expressing this view of Star Wars that uh, that I really agree with of uh saying it is really real respect for George Lucas and the canon and the lore and, and even re referring to Star Wars as a religion. That's something that is that must be respected, but also must evolve in, in having a sense of humor about it and describing her show as a is a tent revival of, you know, I'm this is this new little part of this amazing tradition that I'm adding on to and come on in. And if you enjoy it, ah, awesome. If you don't, uh, there are several other tent revivals over there in, in all these Disney Plus shows. So it was uh, this joy of seeing who she is as a, as a person, as a creator, thoughtful, charming, funny, excited, uh, you know, uh, inclusive in, in the most inclusive version of the word inclusive. 
and then also getting these great hints for what her show might be like. Yeah, a lot there. Uh, you're so right. Uh, the thing that I really, really took away from this interview, just her as a Star Wars fan, she mentioned she was born in 1980 and kind of grew up in that era that is, uh, you know, our era, roughly. <laughs> you and I, a little more gray in our beards there, yeah, but <laughs> Roughly the same era. Uh, so she experienced the same things that we did. And I love some of the stuff. Man, she's just really smart. And I say smart because she's she's in this um, community. She watches the video. She mentions, you know, I'm sure we'll, we'll, we both jotted down. She she mentions uh, she watches our buddies Alex and Molly at Star Wars Explained, you know, the canon update videos. And that's really cool just to uh, hear their name kind of checked in this. But uh, she's so smart because she very clearly, she's taken her perspective, her experiences, and, and her convictions into this Star Wars world, but she very much, you can tell, realizes, Joseph, who she's speaking to. Just a wide variety of people, a wide variety of people on the internet. <laughs> and I'm sure many will just ignore all of her, uh, all of branches, if you will, to to all listening. That where she says, hey, yes, this is a female-led series, but th this story is not just for women. And hey, I, she told the story of, I, I grew up, not really knowing of that there was like Star Wars RPG games, but I understand that those that played it, mostly the young young men who were coming into their own and, and discovering themselves and who they were. I know they needed a, a, what they felt was a safe space. I just wanted that too. Um, she is saying all the right things to me. I'd vote for her is what I'm saying. <laughs> and I was, I took that away from this interview more than anything. And then there's so many other great things she talked about just in terms of creating Star Wars. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think yeah, that, that I think that's what I meant by like the the most inclusive yeah. of inclusive of saying like, hey, I relate to Luke, I relate to Mando. Anybody can relate to any protagonist, uh, while also saying, yeah, it's it, it. I'm bringing my perspective, and it is a you know the main character, the protagonist is a woman. Uh, so mm -hmm. yes, there is that, but it's still also anybody can relate to anything while also having a special affinity if it is something uh, that hasn't had as much representation. Uh, that's just such yeah. a great uh, perspective. And I, I felt very spoken to to say, like, yeah, boys go through awkward times too. And, like, I understand that, you know, at times mm -hmm. maybe if you're going through puberty and people are going to make fun of you, maybe you just want to <laughs> yeah. close the door and, uh, and play uh, your RPG in a safe space. That is a real attempt to, to be as inclusive as possible. And I thought it was really interesting that she talked about her journey of being an original trilogy, uh, I would imagine on VHS, given her, her general age, um, mm -hmm. of experiencing the original trilogy, reading Timothy's on Air to Empire stuff early on, but then kind of coming back into being into Star Wars from the fandom, from looking at theories on YouTube to looking at, I think she was kind of implying fan fiction uh, on YouTube. So that's really interesting to me, too, that she not only has that perspective of I know for myself that a part of the joy of this is the fandom. A part of the joy of this is creators create a, a Star Wars story. But then it takes on that level of myth and legend and, and pop culture reverence because fans, you know, attach all these ideas and theories uh, to it and kind of make it, you know, even larger than what it starts as. So to know that she has that perspective and that there's also, you know, she, she name checked coming into YouTube, you know, coming back to Star Wars around when YouTube was really growing in prominence and when Clone Wars was on the air. That's really interesting to me, too, that she's not. She's not just, uh, you know, I grew up in the original trilogy and that's it really dominates my perspective the way I think Favreau is really honest about. Um, 
she is somebody like I love the original trilogy on VHS. And then I got into it in the late 2000s with the Clone Wars and with the YouTube fandom. That makes me really interested in seeing how is that going to translate to a new Star Wars story? Yeah, how is that going to translate? Because she said, um, I'm paraphrasing, of course, but just that Star Wars can evolve as as you do, as we grow up. And you and I have, have talked about that idea, too, of, of Star Wars. Star Wars is always there, but you're going to grow and change, and your interactions with it are going to go, grow and trade. Uh, she, Carl Weathers in D- Disney Gallery talking about Star Wars was saying things to me in my early 20s that I needed to hear, but I just wasn't listening. And it found me later, and I see the value of it later. Those are all kind of things, and, and for her to kind of be connected in, into that and have her finger on that pulse of what Star Wars is, and how she says she just very clearly values Star Wars community and wants it too, Want, wants to watch an episode of Mandalorian and then go talk about it with someone, or go get a theory, or get, go get a, a canon update. She She's in it, and and you and I have talked too, Joseph, you know, we make our jokes. John Favreau's not necessarily in that, different era, um, different approach, and it works very well for him, and I don't need... I don't lean either way. I don't necessarily just need it to be like Favre, who's like, I don't know, what's a porg? Put in this. Uh, we joke about it, but uh, some truth to that. But then then I don't I don't also crave every creator to be like, yeah, I watched uh, 12 YouTube videos this morning, and I'm going to make a Star Wars uh, story. But I love both when they're done right, and I just, every bit about her energy for what she feels about Star Wars just... Uh, is uh, making me feel more excited for this this show and what she can bring to this franchise. Yeah, yeah, and I I really like that diversity and perspective from creators. Uh, when you have what you're talking about with uh, Favreau and now with uh, Leslie Headland, but then you have like you know Tony Gilroy, who is like he can't wait to tell you he's not a fan. Like not that he <laughs> dislikes it, but that he's not. He is not. You know, it doesn't sound like you're ever gonna hear him go. One of my favorite things about Star Wars is YouTube theories about the Clone Wars animated series, right? So it's a really different perspective. And I think that is valuable and and interesting to have different approaches, even to being a fan of Star Wars from Star Wars creators. I totally agree. Let's talk about a little bit what she said about the actual, you know, her approach, uh, you know, uh, writing Russian doll. She comes uh, from a a playwriting background, which you you have an extensive amount of experience in that, Joseph. And you and I, I think we've talked before about what that could mean for the series and a lot of playwrights uh, make wonderful transitions to movies, TV show, uh, you know, few good men comes to mind with Sorkin or, or not Sorkin Mamet, right? No, Sorkin, right? God, I just got, I got my playwrights turned showrunner. Cheers. <laughs> um, uh, dudes so who she, use a lot of words. Yes. Dude, dude, walk and talks, walk and talks. Uh, so I love the, where she said she started the stories from where are you? Like, no, literally, where are you in the galaxy? Pulled out the complete Atlas book. And how she loves the the Star Wars kind of universe, literally the Star Wars universe. I, that's a great starting point for me. And then how what you can take from that, or what planet you're on, and what the people, or the, or the cultures, or the uh, economic situation, the political situations, the social situations on those Star Wars planets, how they can help form and guide your story. That's a, I loved hearing that. That was great stuff. Yeah, yeah. There's a, a lot of great stuff in her background. I, I'll say real quickly just about the playwright. I, I think one thing to think about, uh, you know. Playwriting is, you know, playwriting really focuses on a lot on the character and the word. You definitely can have big visuals in theater, but uh, particularly if you're a smaller, scrappier, independent theater, you know, it is not Shrek on ice. You know, it, it's not about spectacle. It's about really making that live audience feel 
the truth, the terror, the fear, the joy of that character. And a lot of times, yeah, absolutely, you can be very visual in theater, but a lot of times it is it is words and it is characters. Um, so the, I so knowing that she has that background combined with what she was saying about her appreciation of appreciation of Star Wars, that it works on multiple levels, that it has that sort of mythic quality of being, as she described it, pre-verbal. And this is really in line with things that Lucas has said of her saying, I'm not discounting the, the great dialogue, the great music, but you could watch the original trilogy or you could watch Mandalorian and you could really sense and feel what is happening even without the words. But then you add the music and then you add the words and you go to this new level. That's really interesting to me that she's somebody who has a background of of an art that is kind of hyperverbal in, in playwriting and, and Russian doll is very hyperverbal. Uh, so that knowing that she has that perspective of both of like dialogue is really important. Depth of character is really important, but also just telling the story in this uh, very visual, uh, very deep and intuitive way is the way is a good way to tell Star Wars on screen. It makes me really excited for those things. Um, and then to get to the Atlas, because I think that's that's maybe the big point of uh, the fun Star Wars speculation of what is this show? What's it going to be about? I, Lucas has talked so much about in behind the scenes things about the anthropology. I remember one of the behind the scenes uh, features for Revenge of the Sith of him just talking a, a bunch about like, what would a planet with sinkholes be? What would they think like? What would their technology be? If you lived in a sinkhole could, because you had to or because you chose to, who does that make you? So that's a very Lucas, very, uh, you know, early star wars uh idea you know the the picture of luke's environment in a new hope of moisture evaporators and a farmer and there's there's literally nothing to stare at but the horizon yeah. <laughs> you know and how how does that affect you um to know that she's coming at it from both from that kind of deeper philosophical cultural perspective but also the nerdery of like Look at my Atlas book. <laughs> which yeah. which planets do I think are cool? Which planets do I think we haven't dived into their culture? So, mm -hmm. you know, how can I shape a story partially out of what the characters want, but partially out of which planets do they go to that we don't know enough about? Is this great combination to me of the depth of Star Wars and just like the fun of Star Wars? Yeah, and, and and we all appreciate those kind of worlds, whether they're brand new worlds we haven't seen before or just something where we uh, get to see a little bit more of, like you said, take that dive in. Uh, and we had heard before, in fact, uh, earlier this week, uh, get it up here, Slash Film, uh, Peter Shreddy over there. Um, no, he's over at Deadline. Um, uh, talking about, um, yeah, or maybe a Slash Film, doesn't matter. Uh, the, the more details, but really there's not more details. This is a female-centric Star Wars series uh believed to be female driven action thriller with martial arts elements set in a quote alternate timeline for the usual star wars universe that's gone around a bit it emerged again on november 6th this week uh this this uh this particular just log line if you will um i don't know if we necessarily gathered any more of what the show's going to be about specifically but we can get a feel of what how what she's her approach is joseph but one thing we want to discuss uh you were you saying that uh, this idea of it being indiana jones like not necessarily true if you listen to this interview not necessarily wrong but not necessarily true yeah yeah well one thing i want to say real quick is that alternate timeline thing i think has caused some confusion and consternation and i do uh -huh. think leslie headland clarified that 
you know, she wasn't giving a direct response. But when she was asked about it uh, on this great uh, YouTube conversation, she specifically said that it happens in a pocket of universe in timeline we don't really know well. So I think right. the alternate timeline is getting people thinking like, well, is we're going to plunge into the world between worlds. Is this the first right. Star Wars? What if? And I think all I think what is actually being said is it's going to be in planets that we haven't spent a lot of time on in a part of the timeline existing timeline so i think that's an important clarification for all, all of our uh responsible speculation totally. um totally. yeah in terms of the indiana jones things i think i just saw one tweet saying that oh it's going to be indiana jones inspired and and i don't think that's quite what she was saying i think what she was saying in the interview is um and, and i have a little clarity of this for myself from having done you know some pitches here in weird old hollywood she was saying she had a designer working with her on her pitch to Lucasfilm and that in order for her to really illustrate the story, she had the designer draw some Indiana Jones map like lines from planet to planet. Um, right. So it absolutely could be Indiana Jones inspired that, you know, Indiana Jones and Star Wars uh, definitely share some DNA for obvious reasons, the, the literal DNA of George yeah. Lucas. Um, but what I really took from that, which I thought was really interesting and cool is you know, with her holding up the Atlas and then her basically literally saying, when I physically sat in the Lucasfilm office and pitched it, I pitched a narrative. I pitched, here's the characters, here's the world they start at, then these events happen and it causes them to go to this world. And that's really interesting to me just to get some kind of insight into the machinery of all this that, you know, she's not going in there going, you know, just to pull something off the top of my head. I want to tell a story about the Night Sisters. She is she went in there and pitched a story. Now, it might have changed. It might evolve. Uh, but I think that's the significance of like, I, I know the narrative shape of this thing that I want to do. Yeah. And, and I after this interview, like uh, the idea of an Afro series and she was going to do an Afro series, I was I was definitely you know, hearing those rumors, intrigued by that. I, I, other possibilities of characters I've known. I'm just, and I'd be happy for that. I'd be happy for any of it, quite frankly. You know, you know, I want an after series. You do too. I'd love a Sloan race, Sloan series, all that stuff. I, I can roll out a list of names. I'd love to say this is a series about Infus Nest. Let me let me stop before I just list every character. But <laughs> I, I I don't know if this makes sense, Joseph. But after hearing her talk a little bit, her approach, her love of the little details, love of she talks about small origin stories and locations, and that's what she was would get on a, on a uh, monologue on during meetings with Lucasfilm people or anything like that. <laughs> I, I want her just to, you know, almost completely new, now, which is something rare for me. Cause I am a, you know, cool. Is this another story set seven years after revenge of Sith? Please give me more. I am that person. Um, and maybe it's in that timeline, but this other pocket of the galaxy, I just want her to take what she knows and really introduce us to, uh, things and characters and places that, that we haven't seen before, haven't got to spend a lot of time in. And it could be, again, it could be an infant's nest or something like that. But I, I, all I'm saying is I'm just excited. Her, her approach is, it's, it's a very robust approach, my approach. One of my favorite words to say with a roll dar. Uh, <laughs> um, I just, yeah, yeah if, if that makes sense. I'm just like, yeah, give, I hope roll up your sleeves and go to, go to take me to someplace. I've never been as a star Wars fan for her. Uh, it makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. And from what I'm hearing is, you know, I think eventually when the show comes out, whoever the protagonist is, uh, whatever is motivating that character, if they fit into, you know, one of our Star Wars archetypes, are they, uh, you know, an, uh, a, a scavenger? Are they a scoundrel? Uh, you know, are they an anthropologist? Are they a, a bounty hunter? Are they a failed Jedi? Whatever it is, I think whoever that character is, there will probably be something really uh, personal 
of of from Leslie Headland's perspective. Uh, but from what she's talking about right now, it's real to me, tip of the iceberg stuff again, where she cle- clearly saw on a YouTube theory or on an episode of Clone Wars or in she talked about reading comic books in the in the mid to late 2000s, you know, or reading an atlas. I think there's some tip of the iceberg stuff where there's some planets or some characters that we've just skipped past and an event has happened there Mm -hmm. and there's something that's hooked her and she's gone. Wait a minute. I never knew that little detail about Alderaan. Maybe this is set 100 years before, uh, you know, A New Hope and it's somebody from Alderaan because there's some little detail of Alderaan. Or maybe that's you know the the banking clan on Scipio. What? There's something there that fired my imagination, and I want to dive into that. I, I think that's what we're looking at in terms of it's not mm-hmm. any of this kind of laundry list of characters that we all legitimately want to see more of. But it's more that there's some little detail that fired her imagination in Star Wars, and she's going, "I want to know more about that place. I want to know more about who those people are. Let's dive in there." Yeah, and and it's weird. And if, if for me again, I I am a cool. Does it have stormtroopers? And is someone trying to rebel against them? Please give me that. I know that's me. And then some the ascendancy. I'm not so. I don't know. Even the High Republic. I'm like sounds good, but uh, it's 200 years before I like to hang out and party. Uh, I I for some reason just what you're saying, Joseph. Just it, it kind of ignited my imagination for what this could be. But I can't wait to find out what it is. And I think we gotta. A great creator, a great storyteller in the Star Wars universe. Yeah, it made me really, really extra excited. You know, I was excited because I, I really like Russian Doll. But besides that, I didn't know much about the show. And this has got me really excited um, uh, for another dish in the upcoming Star Wars buffet of Disney+. Plus. Absolutely. We love that buffet. Uh, we will, uh, in, on the YouTube version of this, I'll drop the link to the interview. Fantastic. Frankie is the YouTube channel. She's uh, just a lot of, got a lot of great stuff. Just kind of was looking around. I'd never heard of uh, her till this day. And that's another thing too, of just finding another, uh, fun, uh, voice in, uh, the Star Wars and kind of, uh, pop culture community. It's, it's part of the fun too. So give her a follow or head over there too. We'll drop the link so you can, uh, hear the interview for yourself if you haven't had the chance. Um, speaking of chances, Joseph, I hope everyone gives the Lego holiday special a chance. <laughs> it's shaping up to be real fun. And we've talked about this uh, even a couple weeks ago, we got a little, little more details, but now we got this cool trailer. I loved it. Uh, uh Yoda, uh, with, with Frank Oz actually doing kind of a night before Christmas kind of poem, uh, you know, a little, uh, holiday poem here. Love this, love this trailer. You get a chance to watch it. And do you have, uh, did you have favorite highlights? Oh, yeah. There are so many things. Uh, great fun. Uh, I, one big highlight for me is just continuing to get to see uh, Ray with her yellow saber. I am mm-hmm. so all about that yellow saber. I don't even care that it's Lego. I'm just happy to see Ray wielding that yellow saber. Um, I really like that there is this, there's a one line, I'm paraphrasing, but like uh, of all the heroes gathering to celebrate, and it's all these characters on the Falcon, and Max Rebo is just there. It's <laughs> like, welcome to the resistance, Max Rebo. I, I didn't know that, you know, Max Rebo is a hero, so it's fun in this Lego world that he is. Um, yeah. I think uh, two jokes, or actually just one one joke that I thought was great. I loved both Vader and Ray finding the child cute. That was a fun revelation, yeah. uh, you know, seeing the the child in Mando, and I think that that's super funny. Um and then I, I really like just the um, how much of the uh, fandom of Star Wars this contains to see a trailer 
that has everything from a who shot first joke to a Kylo put on a shirt joke. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like mm-hmm. through humor connecting the decades of Star Wars. Yeah. Yeah. And it, look, I'll tell you, it, it, and I mean this in a good way, it had kind of that robot chicken kind of style, especially with the Emperor stuff. And I'm fine with that. I love because I kind of love that stuff. I don't know. I'm a sucker for I'm I'm a sucker for Palpatine ordering a sandwich. You know, I don't know what it is. It's it's just uh, speaks to some weird style of humor buried <laughs> inside me. Um, so there's that. Uh, there's highlight. You know, one of the ones uh, the little tiny talk about things in the background. Just a quick shot of the off world Java Jawa next to the Tatooine Jawa. <laughs> nice touch. Nice. Detail. Uh, I love the shot of Wookies doing snow angels with BB-8. Uh, that's at the dream, but here's this. You and I talked about it a couple weeks ago. This is fun and this is, um, non-canon or canon adjacent at best, but this is the first time, quite frankly, that we're going to see Ray going forward in any way, shape or form. Again, this is not canon. This is not what happens, but they're staying true to what it might be because there's the, the line from Yoda that I really love Joseph, where he says for Ray adventure called and she thought it would be fast. But there she found a key to the galaxy's past. I love that idea of Ray kind of saying, hey, great, cool. I got my yellow blade. We've won. What's next? Let's zoom, zoom, zoom. And similar maybe even to Luke of just like, no, no, no. You need to you need to go another direction with this. It's not what you think. And you maybe need to go past to, to learn how to go forward. All, anything. Deep stuff for what I'm sure is going to be a fun, silly little movie. Yeah. But, I mean, given everything that they've said in that press release, that great quote you just read, I do think it's going to be, uh, it's not going to go like deep dive. I think it's going to be like the fun moral of Ray feels the responsibility of being the Jedi, being the defender of uh, peace and justice throughout the galaxy. But also her great victory in the sequel trilogy is finding family and connection. And that's important too. And I think that's going to be Ray's story. And that's a great little story. That's a great little moral uh, for Star Wars and, and for all of us. Yeah. A lot of crossovers because of this key uh, to the galaxy's past that she gets, which is going to be part of fun. You met Max Rebo on the Falcon and the Resistance. Love it. Love it. Um, any crossovers that you saw in this already that you love? And then which ones would you want to see uh, in this one here uh, or in a future Lego Star Wars movie that we could get into on this big of a level? Any, any ones that you want? Oh, well, the one I like seeing is the old Han, young Han. <laughs> that was awesome. That is great. Uh, yeah, you know, I think um, seeing uh, Ray interact with uh, Obi-Wan a little bit more, that would be great. I would love that. You know who actually I would love in Obi-Wan Maz Kanata scene? Because I think, uh, you know, I love Obi-Wan, but I think, you know, yeah, Obi-Wan can uh, play a little fast and loose here and there with his perspective and what he's trying to accomplish. And I'd love to see uh, him and Maz uh, at the bar and Maz just giving him grief. God, that's a great one. Uh, that's. Yeah, because I was thinking more silly stuff like, uh, I don't know, put a battle droid on Hoth. Hilarious, Ken. Great. <laughs> you're fired. Uh, but uh, that one actually, I could have a whole episode. If they were to make this into a new series, I just a whole episode of Obi-Wan uh, from another era. <laughs> from another era, because you could easily put them in the same time frame and time time period, right? But no, I want I want the Maz we, we get in Force Awakens and I want the Obi-Wan we see, uh, you know, in uh, probably Attack of the Clones when he's really like taking the time to drink. Yeah, <laughs> he's really taking the time to drink. Yeah, it was great to see uh, the clone troopers too. And for myself as a Star Wars fan, because I've lived with them for so long, 
I am very close to personally done with jokes about stormtroopers not being a great shot because there mm -hmm. have been many amazing jokes, but there are now so many. My one caveat is I would be more than happy to see clone troopers personally react because that would make it fresh to me if clone troopers going, wait, you, you replaced us with this? Bad. I like that. Uh, there's a quick shot of the pod race scene and a lightsaber fight on top of pods. I love that there. I love me the pod race. I would love to see like some crossover of like Rio Durant racing a pod, like getting a oh. shot. <laughs> yeah. Think, he's got the hands and feet for it. Yeah. Yeah. I hope they go to a Minoc roast. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. On Ardinia. I think I love Rio Durant more than I've realized over, over. I, I loved him from the beginning and Favreau, I think voices him in a, in a very unique way. It's very Favreau and almost not in the galaxy at times. But it so is, and I, I, I don't know, I'm developing a stronger affinity for Rio in, in my old old age. <laughs> yeah, that uh, pronunciation of Wookie, Wookie. It, it's a it's a thing of beauty. It is. Uh, we've talked about this before, a little bit of remix, but seeing this trailer just kind of inspired me again. I, I just love what I saw. I, I can't wait to watch this. I know a lot of our fans, even over in the Four Center Discord, are just the anticipation is really high for this holiday special. Um, Having fun being a Star Wars fan. I mentioned how much I do, I do like the robot chicken stuff uh, overall because it just comes from, to me, a place of uh, being not even on the playground, but being in like college and mm -hmm. making jokes with your friends about, uh, uh, you know, they, I, I always go to the Kevin Smith, the clerks. It was the first time I had personally ever seen like publicly like someone, oh, they talked about the contractors on the Death Star too. Like, oh, wow, that's <laughs> something my friend Joel did in high school. Like, that's the kind of thing. So I do enjoy that kind of humor. Palpatine getting a, uh, a uh, you know Emperor of the Year mug type of thing, but uh, you know, having fun in Star Wars again is is very valuable. And I'm already you know we're not even need, no really need to acknowledge it, but uh, Ray fighting Vader and people having problems with that, like just man, I hope I hope a large amount of people Joseph can just have some fun with what we're about to see. No, I really agree. I think this is not a surprise. There doesn't need to be any articles uh clickbait articles saying disney does something weird and fun this is something that already exists right uh the, yeah. the lego games have always been this there are multiple lego series including the the freemaker adventures uh where this lego star wars style is established in the point of it is is the same point of lego it's play it's fun and what they do that i think is really interesting is they play, they have fun. They have the emperor make jokes that he would never make in the actual movie. They have characters who, who can meet and be meta about themselves in a way they'd never be in the movies. It's a sense of play, but underneath it all, it always stays accurate to the characters and, and accurate to the themes. It's just a, a fun version of it. A fun version of Star Wars. That's not a bad thing, and I can't <laughs> wait. November 17th, Life Day, this will stream to us all. And yes, you better believe we'll be talking about it here on Force Center. Something we have talked about before is Solo, and the love of the movie Solo, the love of Alden Ehrenreich as Solo. Uh, Ron Howard sat down with the uh, folks at uh, Lights, Camera, Barstool and uh, talked a little bit about... Um, you know, the, the phenomenon of, uh, you know, the love of solo, the make solo to happen with the, the resistance broadcast folks got, and John, who we, uh, 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 excuse me, John Hoey got John, if you're listening, I, that was a legit mess up. Um, uh, John Hoey loving that, um, movie and just the energy behind it. And, and Ron Howard talks about it, uh, about the love for the characters, uh, 
and, and love for the movie, how good it is, though there is nothing planned at all, um, that you never know, Joseph. You never know in this day and age what that could lead to now. And that's different from two years ago. This was not something we could imagine two years ago, you know? Right. Yeah. I like that Ron Howard was super clear in our, our world of uh, what ifs and punditry. He he made it super clear of there's nothing planned uh, right now, but it's so great that people uh, liked it so much. And yeah, a couple of years ago when it was the only way Solo 2 could happen is if a, another movie was deemed you know, that it would be, uh, you know, financially successful. And it's what we want to take uh, up the silver screen time in Star Wars is telling this story. But now knowing the possibilities of uh, of Disney Plus, yeah, something could happen soon. Something could happen in the next couple of years. And that's exciting. One of the other things of this interview, Joseph, was uh, Harrison Ford. Ron Howard acknowledged that, uh, yes, he publicly praised Alden, but really liked what was going on here and even had, quote, more to say privately. Uh, we don't know the details of that. Uh, I looking back now, why do you, yeah, we've had these discussions too, but I really, knowing that Harrison as an actor's actor and, and gruff old Harrison really liked what Alden did and really was supportive. Something again, we've heard before. Why, why do we think Alden did a great job as on solo? I know not everyone thinks that, and we're not here to convince you if that's what you, 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 you think and took from the movie that that's, that's, uh, that's, uh, your path. And I want you on it. I want you on the path you want to be on. Um, we think he did a great job. Looking back now, Joseph, what, what what do you take from his performance as Solo? Yeah, I think that he just captured Han Solo's soul for me. He captured uh, the, the bravado, the desire for adventure, the desire to prove himself, but he also captured the the good heart, that connection to anybody who is uh, kind of being stepped on, anybody who is being left behind, anybody who is being bullied, uh, that he has a good heart in general, but he particularly has a, a soft spot and a vulnerability to anybody who is being uh, bullied, uh, that he is just utterly full of charm and enthusiasm. And that charm and enthusiasm always that kind of spark toward light and life and adventure and connection is already in this movie you know being being damped down by uh pain and and he is you know developing some of those emotional callous calluses uh but at his heart in his soul it's the the charm the fun the bravado the the feelings he doesn't want to deal with all the things that make han solo uh to me han solo he just really captured and i think harrison ford you said it great being an actor's actor you know we we talked about level of fandoms and in generations i don't think uh harrison ford knows that greedo is a rodian i i think if he ever learned that he'd try to forget it you know <laughs> i don't think he cares about those trappings he cares but he cares immensely about figuring out I'm this person is real. Han Solo is real. How do I make him real? How do I make this, uh, you know, mumbo jumbo science fiction stuff real and, and coming back and saying, uh, how do I make this father son relationship real? And how do, how do I give that realness uh, to Adam Driver playing my son and this trauma that they're both going through all of that devotion from Harrison Ford to what is real? I think the fact that Harrison Ford saw that in Alden is the same reason that I really like his performance. I think he found everything that is real about Han Solo. Yeah, there is something, what Alden does, he finds, you talked about the, the being callous and he's not quite there. He has some, Kira's a motivation kind of, uh, not saying that's on the surface, but he's it's all he's all over the place. And I really believe, I really love the moment when his face 
realizes that, uh, oh, my la- with the last name Solo, I am now who I feel I can be, and that's something else going forward. I, I You and I have talked about actually loving the moment that he gets his name, which is not something that I thought I would. I was when Uncle Bob let that slip at a shareholders meeting. I was like, please, no. They presented something to me that, that really worked, and Alden in that moment uh, really sets Han on his journey, and it builds back to, I talk a lot about how, uh, you know, in Sir Alec Guinness's performance in A New Hope, there are things he does as an actor and pauses, not even words he says, but just pauses and looks and reactions that you can then connect with those little Indiana Jones kind of map strings. That, uh, <laughs> about. You can connect back to those moments and, and, and build out the, the, the emotional foundations of, of this character. I think what Harrison did in the moment where he's taken the money and running, he made some choices and, 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 and you got Chewie behind him and I know what I'm doing. I think a lot of the Alden's performance is can connect back to that. If it wasn't specifically built on that, I haven't heard him say that obviously, but it's kind of built back to that moment. Cause I had one time at a party, I, the only one of the only arguments I probably had a little <laughs> bit of sarsaparilla in me uh, and birthday cake for sure. Someone said, uh, I don't like that movie because when we see Han and New Hope, he's a bad guy. And now this movie shows he's a good guy. And I was like, sir, you were wrong. You were wrong. <laughs> Han was not a bad guy in A New Hope. That was the point. That was what was there. And it's in that moment. He doesn't just like take the money, see a kid, middle finger. No, he's, he's, he, he gets it. He gets what's going on. He gets the big picture. He just can't commit himself. And where does that come from? That comes from stuff that Alden connected to emotionally. Um, beyond just um, holding his hands on his on his hips like Harrison does, even more as Indiana Jones than Han Solo, and a lot of those <laughs> kind of things, and and he he gets the the vibe, uh, it gets it really good. But I hear a lot of ah, that was fine, Alden was great, but that wasn't Han Solo. No, it was Han Solo. It was Han Solo then, and I think it connects back to that specific moment for me. So um, yeah, we'll never know what Harrison sat down and said to Alden. Uh, it might have just been good job, kid, but it. It was, it, it meant a lot. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and it means a lot to me. So it's really cool to hear about. Yeah. Um, final thought on this here, and I'm sure we'll come again. You and I did talk about a uh, top about, uh, you know, the possibilities, Disney plus changing the game. I mean, it, again, even the last year, the possibilities have changed now that Mando's out and, 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 and it's a success, uh, you know, you know, at least season one. Right. Um, in a lot of ways, awards, critics, praise, fan praise. It's, subscription rates, whatever you want to say. It's, <laughs> that's changed even from what we thought in 2018. At this point, what do we think, I don't know, would be realistic for them to do, them being Lucasfilm Disney, with these characters? Because um, it's it's a while, I don't know, and there's enough, not baggage, but there's enough about this movie that I don't think you could just simply say, here's Solo 2, even on Disney+. Plus. You'd have to find a different way to approach it you and I have talked about Kira versus Maul. There's a lot of emphasis, mm-hmm. blah, blah, blah. Oh, how now, right now, what would you think they would even try to do? I do think since from everything that John Kasdan has tweeted, it, it, it feels like he has a solid outline for Solo 2, right? That he he's yeah. he's tweeted uh, sort of teasers about the uh, Han and Kira, and, and I would imagine Lando as well being uh, implying, maybe I'm doing some inferring, but he's, he's tweeted about the uh, criminal syndicate wars, you know, between the Pikes and the Huts and, and Crimson Dawn. And you can see how everybody's threads uh, from Han to Kira to Lando could be caught up in that. And that could be a great solo, too. Uh, so knowing that he's he's got that ready, 
there's a part of me that holds a slight hope for maybe a year for two from now. Uh, you know, Disney Plus does want to say we want to experiment with, you know, it's got to be a little bit smaller budget. You got to use the volume. Uh, but yeah, why not do a movie? We'll do a movie on on Disney Plus. It, you know, we want this movie to exist, but and there's some fan clamor for it, but we don't want to, you know, do it in in the go out and buy a movie ticket uh, version. So there's a slim hope from that of like, yeah, maybe maybe Solo Two could happen in that way. Um, I, I do think that is a, a big hope, a big gamble. So the other thing that my mind would go to is, yeah, stripping out a couple of the themes or a couple of the threads. And the biggest one to me would be, uh, I think Kira versus Maul. You know, we know that Maul ends up on Malachor somehow. I, I like the idea that, that Kira takes down Crimson Dawn, Kira takes him down. Uh, you know, obviously Amelia Clark is a, is a good, uh, big name, uh, which helps a lot. And I think also we're, we're seeing this hunger right now in some of the reaction to the Mandalorian for stories that really continue a story. Um, you know, we are really enjoying the Mandalorian episodes where he just has an adventure in it and it advances his character in the themes. But there are a lot of people, I think, who are really saying, I want storytelling that really connects to other storytelling. And Kira versus Maul really does connect to a lot of storytelling. So that one would seem like a good one to me. Mm -hmm. I'd be thrilled for a six episode limited series that's just Han and Chewie have an adventure. It mm -hmm. doesn't re reveal any great big canon. It doesn't tie back to anything else. I just love those characters, and I, I like watching them have adventures. But I understand that there is, you know, some pushback against that right now of just an adventure for adventure's sake. Yeah, I, I, I'm more starting to lean to that. Look, Kira Maul or anything, you know, sign me up. I'm a big Amelia Clark fan as well, so let's let's do it. Let's figure out that story. Uh, you know, my 50th time mentioning Emphis Ness this podcast because <laughs> I love that character. I love the potential of what we could learn from that character and what you could do with that character in, in the Cloud Riders. But what you just pitched, too, of just like now, could they go, hey, um, go, let's go smaller and just like an old novel, an old Han Solo novel, we're just going to go on some crazy, crazy self-contained uh, adventure that touches the fringes of the story, you know, that could that could work for me. It could be a lot. Just bring a little bit of a fun, zesty adventure on on the small screen. I, I, you know, but again, you're right. I, I think there's a sometimes a pushback against that. Maybe just call the show Han Solo, a filler story, and people. Would <laughs> yeah, I mean, it is. It's a it's a good discussion to have about different tastes and and you know changing cultural expectations and and all that kind of stuff. You know, I'm really glad that you brought up Emphis Nest because yes, I would also be happy with an Emphis Nest. Uh, limited series. And I think that also like Kira versus Maul might answer some of that desire for connections because, you know, if that, that money that, that Han delivers is, you know, the lifeblood of something new, you know, how does she connect to Saw? How does she connect to Bale and Mon Mothma? You know, obviously there's a possibility of her showing up in the, the Cassian Andor series, but an Enfys Nest series focusing on her, she's the main character would still, have that it ties to other storytelling it ties to other canon mm -hmm. potential that i think would excite people as well as being just great to see and learn more about her uh absolutely that's a good point good point well we'll see we'll see maybe ron howard will just uh find a way to push it forward or just at least go on podcasts and tell us it's not going forward but man wouldn't it be cool uh <laughs> so there you go final news we got merch we got merch it's a mando monday and also we got uh more merch if you missed if y'all missed star wars celebration just the community just the hanging out just the high-priced hotel rooms and the merchandise don't worry 
Uh, they're still rolling out the merch and ticket holders uh, to Star Wars Celebration can get access on November 13th, everyone else on November 20th, to a new line of Star Wars Celebration merchandise. Some highlights for me, Joseph, include the armor work shirt, like the, the <laughs> station work shirt with the armor. Classic VHS notebook. Uh, I might be getting those ones. Um, I love the a Star, a Star Wars is for everyone shirt. Uh, just kind of a red with some, some black text. I really like that one there. And uh, I I might be needing the Mudhorn Egg Plush Suka. <laughs> might have to come home with me. Yeah, that's a hell of a thing to have a plush doll of. That's <laughs> That's got the double uh, just enjoyment of it's a plush doll. And this isn't just bonkers that this exists, right? <laughs> it's unbelievable. I uh, really need it. I really think I need it. I know. I know. I love Suka so much. I, I'm, I'm thinking I'm thinking that that might really be a thing I need to purchase. And then uh, w- when we get past this virus and, you know, people are coming uh, back over to my apartment to record a, a podcast and they see that and like, the hell is that? It'll be a good mm-hmm. conversation piece. Uh, I'm with you there on those VHS notebooks. I think I got to pick that up. Uh, I, I wear Converse all the time. So the, those uh, resistance shoes. That's a good um, one for me. Uh, maybe the hot snow globe. I, lo- I love the Cloud City lamp. I was so excited for the Star Wars is for everyone shirt. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but then I noticed that, you know, one of the O's is the uh, First Order insignia, which, you know, a part of me is like, yeah, everyone. Oh, <laughs> but I, I can't read it now. I can't see it without hearing Huck scream it. Star Wars is for everyone. Oh, yeah. I mean... <laughs> Okay. Um, I mean, I'm someone who has a lot of imperial insignias on hats and sometimes feels bad wearing those in public. I don't know if, okay, interesting. I didn't notice that. <laughs> Maybe yeah. I'll scroll down and get myself the Babu Frick droid repair t-shirt instead. The, those are all great too. And I, and I love them. A lot of great options, a lot of great options and some, and some super weirdness with Mando Monday too, in a fun way. Yeah, let's go to some Mando Monday. They've been doing this. Uh, we did get a Frog Mom uh, character poster release, too. Uh, that was good. Uh, we got some cool stuff. Uh, the Black Series Mandalorian helmet, uh, you know, those are big and life-size, and I don't really get those, but that looks good. We got some Baby Yoda merch, of course, excuse me, the Child Premium Plush Bundle. Uh, we got a lot of that, some uh, uh, Mando Collection uh, shirts. Uh, but, Joseph, I think, uh, you know, feel free to talk about anything you want here, but uh, I think we got to focus a little bit on the Child with egg canister Funko Pop <laughs> now released to the world that was leaked to the world. I did remember seeing this before the show, but uh, here it is now, and now we get it. Yeah, yeah, and if you are, aren't caught up with The Mandalorian, uh, maybe uh, skip forward two minutes. Uh, yeah, it's amazing. It's amazing. This is, again, what I really like about Star Wars, what I like about Funko Pop is these sort of frankly just weird moments uh because i really like uh in this latest episode i love uh, the child wanting to eat them eggs it is to me great dark comedy it's yeah it's it's sad he's that that lady says these eggs are the last of her personal line now i don't think all of the frog people's lines but her personal line they're super important to her so there's this great tension and it's really dark comedy that i think for me makes sense in the episode because it is an episode about the protecting your young and uh it's dark comedy but it fits the themes it's not random it is random to me of like of all the toys in the world Mm -hmm. i want one of the child Mm -hmm. (laughs) desiring to eat these i want this really dark joke as a cute action figure thing 
because when you really focus on the design of the face, the sculpt of the face, he's got his mouth open in anticipation <laughs> of a meal. His little uh, little hands are leaning forward like me finding a prepackaged sandwich at a gas station. This is uh, this this big <laughs> yeah. This is why, like, I love the, like, I got some Funko Pops of heroes and everything. That's great. But I love the Funko Pops of, like, the Emperor or Maul who look like they are furious that they are a Funko Pop. Of, like, how dare you do this to my image? Uh, this is great. Yeah, you know, at my, uh, speaking of my, my 7-Eleven nearby, they've got, uh, they got a lot of Mandalorian Funko Pops and they got a few with the Baby Yoda one. They got, they got the Bone Broth one. And I, because I go to 7-Eleven quite a lot, folks. I, I, the last three times I've been there, I've just, I've just stared at it to where the employees have been like, do you want it? Literally have asked me, do you want it? And I've been <laughs> like, uh, no, which means if my uh, history serves in my toy buying past, it means I'll probably come away with it next week. Um, just because I've stopped the Funko Pop collecting just a, a, a room and allowance money issues. But I just need the bone broth one. And now I'm looking at this. I'm like, yep, I will probably take every Yoda Funko, uh, excuse me, baby Yoda child Funko pop that they release every year. That's specific and weird. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. We'll see if they can top, top this for specific and weird, specific and weird. Indeed. Uh, anything else uh, that you that you must have from this Mando Monday, Joker? No, I must contain myself is what I must do. So I'm, I'm kind of happy. I'm happy when I see some products that maybe other people want and I don't. What a relief for me. What a relief indeed. All right. We're looking uh, done looking at our news there. Good stuff, man. That Leslie Headland interview. Glad it showed up. Uh, great job. Fantastic job. Fantastic, Frankie, on uh, that interview with Leslie Headland, we're going to take a quick break. But before we do, we're going to have an audiobook we think you should try out on us. Joseph, what do we got? We are recommending Bloodline by Claudia Gray. Why? Because it's very good. And I think it's one of the more important books for uh, sort of Star Wars uh, timeline and big picture canon storytelling. So Bloodline by Claudia Gray. Absolutely. Download your free audiobook today at audibletrial.com slash four center. Again, that's audibletrial.com slash four center for your free audiobook right now quick break we'll reset and on the other side we have your questions here on force If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. 
For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical new user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Hey, Four Center friends, make sure you're keeping up to date on all the great content from Jennifer Landa. Whether it's YouTube, Instagram, or TikTok, you whippersnappers, Four Center's own Jennifer Landa continues to bring you fun, informative, and insightful laughs and moments. Also, Jennifer brings her experience and perspective as a Star Wars-loving mother to her DIY projects, blogs, and more. So be sure to head on over to JennyLanda.com. That's J-E-N-I-L-A-N-D-A.com for articles like how to make your own Darth Maul sneakers or 10 unique Star Wars baby gift ideas. Follow Jen on Twitter and Instagram at JenniferLanda and on TikTok as JenniferLanda1138.
welcome back to Force Center. We've looked at the news. Now it's time for them cues. Joseph, what do we got? That's right. We got questions from Twitter and patrons on Patreon. As always, our first comes from a uh, Twitter, and I'm gonna try to get all the L's correct in this Twitter handle. Lilith, Lilith Sky- Skywalker, Lilith Skywalker. I hope I did uh, justice to the L's. I apologize if I didn't. Lilith. Uh, says, uh, do you think Ray's parents were already on Jakku before Palpatine sent Ochi to capture Ray? Do you think Ray was born on Jakku? Ken, what are your Jakku thoughts? Hmm, little column A, little column B. I think they ended up there, that they didn't necessarily go straight there. There, there was a wild, crazy, let's get the hell out of here kind of vibe, and there might have been a different spot. And then, and then they hear somewhere in the western reaches is this planet no one goes to. Let's pop over there. But I... I, in my mind, think Ray was born there. Mm. Uh, it doesn't matter here nor there. She could be born anywhere on, on the Star Wars map. I don't think there's a, a canon reason she needs to be there, but I don't know. I just like that idea that she was born there. Um, and I know, I know So this doesn't sit well. A lot of people, just the existence of her parents being there. We got the observatory going on. Palpatine was there, so are they are, yeah, at one point? Are they running? I don't know, but sometimes the best place to hide is right under someone's nose. Uh, so I'm okay with that. And so that's uh, there you go. That's my official canon adjacent answer. Yeah, they got well, and she was born. Yeah, okay. So I really like the idea of them being on the run, right? Of mm-hmm. I like the Rise of Skywalker line of like they chose to be no one, so they're trying to uh, look like scavengers, refugees. They're trying to just disappear into. Uh, you know, the underbelly of the galaxy, as it were. Um, and right. so Jakku is an, a place that they might end up. And to me, there's just something kind of dynamic about that of, you know, Ochi gets a lead and he's on their tail and they're trying to uh, find a place to be uh, where he isn't. Uh, I think that's really interesting to me. But, and it sounds like you like that as well, but you like the idea that Ray is specifically born on Jakku. Why does that speak to you? I I think there's, there's, um, I don't know. There's something uh, in, in that I like of, of when she tells, uh, you know, Luke, where he's like, you know, no one's from nowhere. I'm from Jakku. Uh, you know, all right, that's nowhere. I, it's, it's not that I need it to be a joke, um, but I just like that 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 was literally where she's from. And that's why she was waiting. And yes, I know it's attached to her family and it's and it's a bigger theme and everything. I'm not just trying to break it down to something specific as a location, but I don't know, just that that, that was where she was and that she has no real memories of any other environments, uh, rain, water, uh, mm. traveling. And mm. it's who she is. And she is right from nowhere in that regard. I, I, I like that. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. That, yeah, I can see that. I can see that. Um, I, I, I think I still like the idea of, uh, you know, it's a turn of phrase in one of the Star Wars books of space babies who don't really have a, you know, a mm-hmm. planet. They're just, they're on ships a lot and you know, they're in ports, you know, but they don't really see. Uh, so I, I can still see, see that, but yeah, I can definitely see like, oh, it's not just that uh, trauma has suppressed any memory of any other of her younger memories of seeing other locations, but she really hasn't seen much, but desert. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's really interesting to me. You touched on this. I think my other thing in, in response to this great question is, I do think that there's room for somebody to kind of come through in a book or a comic or a Disney Plus show or whatever Star Wars storytelling uh, and and put a little bit of a bow on Jakku, right? Because mm-hmm. it's got that, it's a great match for Tatooine. It's the nowhere planet where a lot of, it's nowhere in terms of the way the galaxy thinks of it, it you know, it's, but a lot of stuff happens there that we follow, like Tatooine. Um, 
but Jakku in particular does have a little bit of like there's that observatory, which is mm-hmm. if I'm remembering correctly in the aftermath ma- aftermath trilogy is it's tied to some you know dark presence uh, mm-hmm. on Jakku. Uh, the Church of the Force there, led by Laura Santeca, chose that planet for a reason. So I feel like there's some storytelling to be had with Jakku itself of at some point, you know, long forgotten, you know, uh, millennia uh, ago, was it a little bit more central in, in the force? You know, was it a yeah. virgence at some point and the galaxy has forgotten about it? Yeah, yeah. I, I it, There's something I, 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 I totally get why people could get hung up on it, but even in, in Tatooine of, oh, do we have to go back there? Do we have to go back there? I, I fully understand that sentiment. Um, it's just uh, my part of the Star Wars buffet. It's it's the, uh, you know, the chicken tenders I love to pull out next to the salad bar, I guess, of just like, I miss Sizzl- Sizzler. God bless it. I miss Sizzler. Um, <laughs> just, you know, I, I like that it is considered, like you just said, considered nothing, considered nowhere, but really it's not. And that's part of the destiny behind a lot of these stories. So I, I'd be willing to explore uh, a little bit more. Jakku, a Star Wars story. Jakku, a Star Wars story. There you heard it here first. That's what we're pitching. Uh, great question. Thank you very much. We're going to move on to our next question uh, from a Twitter handle with the name Mando himself. Uh, here's what Mando himself says. Rewatching The Rise of Skywalker, I noticed that there wasn't really music playing over Rey and Kylo's duel on the Death Star 2 ruins. Why do you think they used more natural sound, waves, buzz of saber, rather than classic duel music, uh, you know, battle of the fates, battle of the heroes style? Thanks, and may the force be with you. This is really great. Uh, uh, mm-hmm. It's really fun to see this question and then uh, rewatch Rise of Skywalker and enjoy that duel once again. What are your thoughts, Ken? I, first of all, I would just love... It's one of the times I would just love the answer. I'd love and maybe <laughs> somewhere out there. I don't know. I, I, I'm trying to think back uh, to the, that documentary. That's a great, supersized, long documentary. I don't remember that. They talked a lot about this scene, but I don't think they talked about the choice to not use the music through all of it. Um, it's something I'm aware of, but I didn't super focus on. So I did watch the scene this morning after Mando himself's great question. And I, I it, it, it heightens both parts of the fight or, or many parts of the fight for me on, on all sides of it, meaning when there is no music and it is just the location, it is the waves, it is the creaks of the Death Star, it is the the creaks of the past, if you will, the blades clashing, highlighting that. And, you know, hey, I, I you know love what we got with lightsabers in Last Jedi, but I know a lot of people just missed lightsaber on lightsaber action. Well, here you got just the sounds of it. And I say just the sounds as if John Williams' music has been <laughs> in the past. No, no, obviously not. Not what I feel being a Star Wars fan who loves John Williams like, I mean, all, all of us do. But it just highlighted that this was something bigger. This was something different. This was something raw, organic, and intimate and, and personal between them on a level that uh, is is not been experienced. And, I mean, it's personal between Vader and Luke, everything. Don't get me wrong. But just like these two characters on the journey they went on, it just really worked for me. But then when it does start kicking in about the hour and 20 minute mark in the movies where you see the music starts coming in, that just heightens what's about to come, which is mystical and bigger and thematic. It is, it is part of the redemption story. It is part of uh, Leia's death. It is leads to Han and this memory returning. And so it heightens uh, the music and lack thereof in, in the different parts of this fight, highlight what needs to be highlighted for me. Yeah, and, and towards the climax, the little bit of music that comes in is mostly Kylo Ren uh, First Order theme, right? I believe so, yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's that real uh, 
something awful and ominous is coming um music and and then there's some real accent of actions right toward the end of the scene and and yeah to your point then music coming in uh, much more as the uh as the duel uh plays itself out in in lots of ways yeah i think for me i just really it works well in contrast you know uh, feloni in that disney gallery episode goes uh on his great uh, thoughts about Duel of the Fates. Why is that fight between Qui-Gon and, and Maul and ultimately Obi-Wan? Why is that the Duel of the Fates? Why is the galaxy at balance? Why is it? Why is there choral singing? You know, why is there choral singing uh, it, when Luke faces Vader? You know, the, that's the, the fate of the galaxy. And yeah, you could absolutely make the argument that the fate of the galaxy is, is hinging on this fight as well. But there is something, to, as you said, Ken, more intimate about it that to me, just watching it as a viewer, regardless of what the, you know, artist's actual intent was it makes sense to me because i think this is the scene where these two characters are at their lowest i think they're they're absolutely stripped bare we just heard from kylo kind of one of the most i think true things we've ever heard from him that he doesn't even consider going back to the light because he doesn't think his mother would accept him and he thinks ray is in that place too and what he wants is just power and he wants to turn ray to the dark side but if she won't break from his cruel manipulations he'll he's willing to kill her and ray is in this moment where she is you know consumed by anger and is seeing that the path to victory is just kill him kylo ren's dark side he's he's trying to mess with me he's trying to mess with the people i care about kill him you know you know violently pushes finn away violently pushes you know help and friendship away and she's relying on the dark side and it it it, it it's not winning the battle for her ultimately uh mm-hmm. so the fact that they are both i think in kind of their lowest place where they've both lost a lot of hope and are just pulling on the dark side the fact that it's nothing but the the sort of in this context the angry hiss of uh the sabers and just mm-hmm. this sort of water is fascinating in the sequel trilogy because water in our storytelling can be life-giving it can be you know what we drink it can be can be flowing and organic it can be amniotic uh, can be a return to the womb in a natural state or it can be destruction it can be cold and death and the waves here are just like the waves are almost like their anger of just like this huge you know monotonous explosion of just destruction and the Mm -hmm. fact that it's just the hiss and the sound of these waves crashing through uh is really powerful to me and then when the music comes in it it is ominous in it and it builds to to me one of the most interesting choices in a lightsaber battle those super angry stabs of music, those lonely, angry stabs is, you know, Ray tries to defend from Kylo's last few blows, beating her down, you know, and it really builds up to the like, yep, Ray's anger didn't save her. Uh, Kylo can't see a way to turn back, you know, in his heart, he wants to connect with her, but he's just going to slam away her defenses and it's building to this inevitable, horrible last blow that almost happens. Uh, and I think mm-hmm. the music really accentuates that by having those stabs, you know, and and uh, I think it, it's really interesting to think about the characters, but then also um, they're a dyad and they have so much potential if they work together. And this is like the loss of that. This is the worst of that. This is the dyad at its lowest. Wow. Uh, high five. Uh, you just, uh, the, the, and this is, I, I, we're, we, we spent a lot of time talking about themes here and digging in and, 
a lot of it at the end of the day is how you and I look at it or interpret it or, or whatever you want to say. But uh, this is, again, I'm not joking. I would love to hear a little bit of the choices because what you're describing really works for me in the sense of the lack of music. If you, if you follow me here, the lack of music in, in, in most of this fight tied into what you're talking about, where there's a dark side kind of at the center of this fight, a dark side in both of them uh, at, at work, right? Uh, for better or worse, they're mostly worse yeah, with the dark side. That there is no heroic theme. There is no sweeping epic Star Wars fantasy undertones in, 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 in this fight. It is raw, intimate, uh, like I said, um, potentially really brutal. Hey, all lightsaber fights, potentially really brutal. But there's a realistic nature to this fight, even with the flippity floppity floppity <laughs> air and the force. But it is it is one of the more realistic Star Wars fights emotionally for me on screen. Uh, I don't know. Go to the Hound and Brienne fighting and ripping each other's ears off and kicking where you shouldn't kick and all this kind of thing. Like It's like, ooh, this isn't just like a swashbuckling Douglas Fairbanks flipping around, uh, having a great fight. This is this is kind of brutal, and t- the the lack of music highlights what you're talking about to me, Joseph. Just like there's a dark side, uh, dark side at work here, and then there, and then when the theme does kick in, like you pointed out, it isn't uh, it isn't it isn't the Ewok celebration. <laughs> no, no, yeah, and w- what you're saying is a, a good reminder to me of like uh, this fight is it, it's not for anything. Right, because the the threat, the plot of Rise of Skywalker is Palpatine and the the horror of the Final Order are going to come for the galaxy, and you know Ray's not fighting to try to get the, uh, you know she doesn't even remember that there might even be the other Wayfinder on his ship. She is just lashing out, and Kylo's going to go on if he wins the fight. He's going to go on and he's going to try to kill Palpatine. It, this is just them giving in to their anger toward one another. This isn't for anything, you know. Mm-hmm. And I think that's important too. Oh, man. I love this fight. I don't know. I love <laughs> Look for us on uh, Force Setter. Kenneth Joseph say, God, I love this movie. But, uh, <laughs> it's yeah. got some great stuff in it and, and some great, really different choices. And I think in sometimes maybe in all of our, do we like it? Do we not like it? Does it match Last Jedi? Does it fight Last Jedi? All that, all those conversations. You know, there's a lot of moments that are really different. And this fight is different. You know, seeing them use those superhero like powers that remind you they're insanely powerful with those huge leaps. You know, it, it's different. Mm-hmm. Uh, all right. Uh, uh, we are going to move on to other questions. So, <laughs> so we don't just talk about the power of water and dyads for two hours. We're going to move on. Great question, Mando himself. Thank you. We're going to move on to our questions from uh, patrons on Patreon. First one comes from Andrew Holmes. Andrew says, hi, Joseph, Ken, and Jennifer. Yes, Jennifer is always here with us in spirit uh, and hopefully uh, someday in person more often again. But for now, thank you, Andrew, for saying hello to all of us here at Team Four Center. Uh, Andrew continues to say, I have been taking a lot of first Force Center advice in choosing not to be phased by comments and people who argue that the sequel trilogy undoes things in episode one through six. For me, the sequel trilogy connects beautifully and bountifully with one through six. If you had to choose, what is your favorite piece of connective tissue from the sequel trilogy to the previous six films? It could be a subtle wink, wink, nod, nod, or major thematic moment. Uh, your show keeps me continuing to enjoy being a Star Wars fan, and please don't ever stop. me. the Force be with you. Thank you so much, Andrew, for the great question and for all the kind words. It, you know, there's a lot of great uh, Star Wars debate. Sometimes do, people do point out, uh, 
you know, criticisms, concerns, different points of view, and we try to be open to those, but we do try to be open to let's celebrate, let's enjoy. So in the spirit of that, Ken, let's answer Andrew's question. What connective tissue to one through six do you gravitate toward in the sequel trilogy? Yeah, for, for all the things that, you know, even you and I can can say, hey, I wish this movie did this scene or gave us this moment with this character. There, there's a lot there. We can have those discussions. But I, I really... I've said it. Sometimes I say it in, I don't know, maybe a little confrontational way of just like, I feel this movie is, is the perfect spiritual ending to the, the entire saga, the, the Skywalker saga, if you will. And I do stand by that. I, I sometimes you throw a, a, a perfect, a strong word and it often leaves no room for conversation. I, I never want that to, to be my intention, but I just get real passionate about this movie because I feel it communicates. It's in constant communication with the stories that came before it, including seven and eight and specifically eight. So because of that, there's little things, you know, Chewie gets uh, Han's medal or a medal to the general public. They don't they don't know. They didn't read that Chewbacca comic where they know he got one some other time. Uh, <laughs> there's those kind of things. The familiar faces showing up. Akbar's son after Akbar being there. I, I love all those little connections, Andrew, and those are there. But there's some big ones here. You and I probably might even have similar answers here, Joseph. Um, but because you and I really love that emotional canon and, and those kind of threads. You and I have talked a lot lately. You even mentioned it kind of up top today, talking about real world stuff, uh, the victory of the people and mm-hmm. how I have been really more focused on that one. That's probably why I mention it a lot more now. I've just been thinking and ruminating on that because uh, episode six ends with a happy, happy celebration and, and we're all excited to have more star Wars. And so to take the next morning essentially and go from there, when the fireworks stop and the statues have come down on Coruscant, I really think uh, all these movies answer that question of what, what did happen next and that this movie makes it complete. It's a victory of the people. Um, uh, we could talk more about that. I, I still love that Palpatine is the embodiment uh, of, of the evil that you and I often talk about. Episode seven said, you thought you won and you did win but then you got complacent or then the infighting started and you got distracted. And uh, this not just a evil, but the same evil came back uh, or reemerged or was in hiding. The Palpatine, Palpatine is the embodiment of that. That works for me on a thematic level, even if there's some little details or handlings of it that uh, those listening might not like. And at times I can go, yeah, yeah, no, I, I'm behind you on that. Um, but I, I think he's the embodiment and just that this is what the Sith would do. And that Luke will die with peace and purpose staring off into the twin suns uh, on Octo and, and die that way or transition to his next plane of existence where Palpatine's like, no, no, and holds on to the bitter. And I like that. And final one for me is personal. I just on solo being such a fan of him, uh, mistakes and all I, I celebrate and learn from uh, my favorite characters, mistakes just as much as their victories. And I uh, love that. Once again, he, he chooses uh, to turn around and help, something that I have uh, documented on record that uh, you helped me see in Force Awakens mm-hmm. when I was seeing something different because I was just, that's my guy and I didn't like how my guy went out and and the uh, the, the hand, the cheek touch of compassion that saved the galaxy, that, uh, that to me is a, a big um, conversation it's having with episodes four, five, six, solo, seven, and uh, then come back at nine. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that that uh, exactly who he is in in Solo. If he's got that compassion, he's got that good heart. But the scariest thing to to brave, daring Han Solo is his feelings. <laughs> mm-hmm. Is is a great thing to celebrate in the sequel trilogy. 
Yeah. Um, there's this, Andrew, this is such a great question. And there could be so much and maybe we'll do a more full episode. Um, but I think for me, uh, a couple things in terms of really connecting it to the prequels, I feel like it just really does a great job of finishing the story that Lucas started about the Jedi. And uh, I go on on our Clone Wars episodes a lot about justice for the Jedi, because I think a, a part of the story of Star Wars is the, the light side is a more difficult path. It's more nuanced. It, it, if, if the light side accidentally hurts somebody, it, it, our characters are upset and they're traumatized and they wonder, how could I possibly move forward? And that's the contrast between the light side and the dark. The dark side is quicker, easier, more seductive. Palpatine doesn't change. His tactics change a little bit here and there. He, he plays some jazz and is evil. But his goal is a straight line. I deserve to control everything. I don't care about anybody else. Everything should be mine, and anybody who should resist me should die. It's a straight line. And the story of the light side is we really want to to defend. We, we only want to act when it is absolutely necessary. If, if we take an action when we shouldn't or we let our guard down or we get a little too rigid, then people really pay the consequences because we take the, all this responsibility on our shoulders. And the story of the prequels is, is seeing them really fail. And so to see Luke wrestle with not only his own failure, uh, but connect that back to Obi-Wan's failure in losing Anakin, to connect that back to the entire Jedi Order's failure in not stopping Sidious and the Empire from rising, and then see Luke go through that process where he realizes, yep, yep, I should I should wrestle with those things. I, I should wrestle with my failures and ask myself why, but I should also reaffirm that the core idea of the Jedi, uh, which is use your power for good to the best of your ability, stand up and, and help people. And, you know, when the dark side is lashing out, defend and, and hold it at bay as best as you can. And that Luke truly wrestles with those things in Last Jedi, comes around in his own way, and then becomes, you know, a proponent of them in all of his wisdom that he gives to to Rey in Rise of Skywalker. Was, you know, I yeah, I let my, my fear get to me. I let my fear that I could make a mistake stop me from taking action and helping people and you know you shouldn't do the same as me you gotta you gotta face fear you, you know you you gotta continue the jedi because they are worth continuing uh is the way i uh take all that so that it's this mm. great continuation it finishes to me the story you know the the prequels are a criticism of the jedi the original trilogy is the awakening of the flame mm. but now the sequel is like okay but we need to kind of justify the flame. And I, I think they do. Um, the other, th other thing for me is I think the theme in all three trilogies is partially that the past just doesn't stay buried. It, it's mm -hmm. always a part of things and we can choose how we react to it. We can deny it. We can try to kill it as Kylo does. Uh, we can embrace it uh, in, and move forward with it as Ray does. Uh, and I think we see that of we start right away in Phantom Menace with Kiati Mundi going, the Sith couldn't have returned. And like, you know, that the, the past is still alive, buddy. Uh, and then with I think we see it in a more personal level in the original trilogy of, uh, you know, Obi-Wan and Yoda really start as like, Luke, uh, yeah, well, it's great that you're the new new hope. Um, yeah, be careful and everything. But let's not talk about your heritage too much. And, you know, the past comes out. The truth comes out. Uh, and he finds out who his father is. And that is something that needs to be dealt with. And then the sequel trilogy is just so explicitly again and again about this new generation uh, dealing with uh, the 
the baggage of the past, the mistakes of the past, but also like the hope and the glory of the past of, of the people who made good traditions, uh, good choices. And I think that's a power of Rise of Skywalker of I, I noticed on this last viewing I did of, you know, mm-hmm. really connecting those themes where Ray specifically says, I'm going to pick up Luke's search for this Sith Wayfinder and, you know, finish what he started. Uh, Luke explicitly tells uh, Ray about Leia's saber that, you know, she left it with me and knew that somebody else would pick it up to finish her journey. And this is really Ray going on her own personal journey, but it's also like picking up this great legacy of heroes and, and finishing the journey symbolized by those two blades. And when she does, she respectfully buries them and, and picks up her new saber, you know? So it, it goes through all these themes of, you can't ignore the past. So what is the best way to deal with the past and move forward? And, and I think the sequel trilogy does a great job of picking up those themes and putting a little bow on them. There you go. There you go. We could do an entire episode, Andrew. Maybe we just said, maybe we, <laughs> maybe we'll just clip that out. Uh, anyway, uh, move on to our final question. This is a great fun question from Patrick McMullen. Patrick says, Star Wars has been a part of my life as long as I can remember. My favorite part of the Star Wars universe has always been Han and Chewie. I love the wild adventures of Han and Chewie as they shenanigan their way through the galaxy. But even more than that, I love that these two misfits from different species and worlds found each other and became best buds. Han's impetuous audacity is both encouraged and tempered by his Wookiee friend. I really appreciate the moments when Chewie serves as Han's moral compass. Recently, I finally got around to reading the original Han Solo trilogy of novels by Brian Daly and thought they were a ton of fun. They also contain one of my favorite Han and Chewie scenes in all of Star Wars. It involved Han adjusting Chewie's neck following a crazy car chase. The combination of their brotherly bickering followed by a moment of tender friendship just seemed to capture everything I love about the pair. I was curious, what are your favorite Han and Chewie moments in Star Wars? Thanks for all of the awesome shows that the entire Force Center crew shares with us on a weekly basis. Thank you, Patrick, uh, for the support on Patreon and for this great question. Uh, Ken, what are your uh, Chewie and Han moments that you gravitate toward? I mean, there's a Star Wars ranked cooking right there. Uh, (laughs) uh, Patrick and Andrew before, they're asking some uh, good questions that are prompts for episodes. So because of that, I'm going to limit myself as best I can, Joseph, to three moments. All right. There's there's many. There's many. I love uh, the early moments at Dryden Voss's party. Uh, the uh, chewy with two drinks and kind of Han already kind of what are you doing? And just kind of their connection. And, and the reason I say that is there's big reasons they're together. They, they meet. They save each other. Uh, we know the life debt kind of hangs over their relationship. And I know we didn't get that specifically in Solo. And I remember thinking, oh, man, we didn't get that. And I hope one day we get that maybe explained. Maybe there's a conversation. But I guess I always viewed that life debt as, I don't know, in my, in my head of just like Chewie bends down on the, on a knee and, and says in, in Sherwalk that uh, I have a life debt with you for you have saved me and it's some ceremony, right? Like I have a, you know, life. Not that Jar Jar's Qui-Gon life debt is, is a less formal as well. But you know what I mean? Like I always, it, was, it was so big in their personal history. Right. That we think that. I like that they are thrown together, literally. They save each other. There's a connection there. But then the moment they kind of start to emerge, the real connection just forms in their banter and their connections. Uh, you know, you and I, we talk often, you and I met at a, you know, I was in the crowd at a panel you're in, and we, we, you know, we start forming a friendship because we went and had some drinks and shared a laugh, you know? And that's mm-hmm. how 
friendships are, are we weren't like on that day would you like to do a star wars podcast hey wait, no it's just like hey this is a funny funny dude i've never met him oh you're fresh to la how you doing drinks great good time and and that's to me Han and Chewie on trying to watch the ship and the, and the, and, and, and Chewie two fist in a drink and just everything going. I love it. I love that connection there, you know? Yeah, that's great. Yeah. You, yeah. Cause it wasn't like that first day that we met. It was like, shall we form a, a podcast bond? You know? <laughs> yeah. Uh, just, yeah. Yeah. So I, I even like with the life debt, like maybe that seems to me a funny part of solo too, of like, of Han being like, you know, I appreciate you having my back. And Chewie's like, well, I actually have to by my culture. And he's like, what? <laughs> you didn't tell me? <laughs> uh, yeah. There's so many great moments. Um, I think for me, a couple of them, I, I think maybe on the depth end of it, that moment where Chewie decides to stay with Han in solo because he sees Han going back for Lando and L3 and really realizes whatever this guy says, that's who he is. You know, mm-hmm. he doesn't have people and he needs people, you know, and, and I'll be his people uh, because he needs me uh, and he seems like a good guy, you know. Yeah. So I, I really like that moment. Uh, the hug in Return of the Jedi, you know. Oh, yeah, that's that's my second one. God bless. Oh, I'm good. sorry. I'm sorry. No, I didn't no, mean no. to step on it. No, 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 no. I love it. I'm, I'm, ex- I'm, I'm excited. Please. That's one of my that's an that's a Star Wars moment. I love. Yeah, yeah, because it, it's just, that's so great of Han being not able to fully see, you know, a roar in the darkness, and instead of it being scary, it's his, it's his buddy in the hug, and, and Han starts by being so Han of like, you know, Luke, he can't take care of himself, and goes all the way to Han recentering himself, because Chewie can't stop hugging him, and going to that, all right, all right, and kind of penting him back, like, wow. It's such a buddy moment, but it's such a yeah. just an, an honestly intimate moment in a, yeah. you know, in a strange way. It really is, you know, yeah. to, to people who really care about each other, who really need each other. Chewie's the one who is, you know, uh, expressive. <laughs> Chewie, yeah. Chewie does the public displays of affection. Uh, yeah. And Han kind of melting into that just a little bit is so beautiful. I'm all right, pal. I'm all right. It's uh it's really good, man. I, I and just it really, it, like I said, it's more than just pals. It's it's a love. It's a bond. It's it's a it's a friendship that I, I hope everyone out there uh, can uh, can experience in their lives. It's 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 viable. You know, people people who need Wookiees <laughs> are the luckiest people. So yeah, I love that moment too. Yeah, you said you had three, right? That means you got one more. Yeah, one more, one more. Going to New Hope. I love. When Han, being crazy Han, uh, in the Death Star, charging after the stormtroopers, which is a fun Han moment, and then whatever version, special edition or the original version, doesn't matter. He he hits a point where he has to run back. I just love that Chewie's right there. It's an indicative uh, of their loyalty, their connection that we know, but you got to know that Chewie's just like, oh, here we go again. Uh, <laughs> I I love that, and and and. In, I'll sneak in. I love a little bit in the force way. I love their band in the force awakens when, you know, when the right before the wrath tar shows up or Hans just kind of like, nah, you know, I got, you know, I, I get, I get out of situations and Chewie has that kind of like, do you, I don't know, but I'm always <laughs> here. with you. So it goes back to this moment for me where it's like, there's Han and there's Chewie. And I just love it. Yeah. Oh, that's a great pull from the force awakens. Yes, I do. Every time. Uh, it's really, really good. Um, I think for, for me, my, uh, uh, my last one is, uh, it's, it's a moment not about them being physically together. They're pretty close, but it's more about their relationship. Uh, when Ray and Finn are first meeting Han and Chewie 
and Ray and Finn are processing who Han Solo is and, and, and like Han Solo, the, you know, the, the war hero and Chewie's like, meh, <laughs> you know, it's a great comedy bit, but it's also like that, like, I, I, you know, Chewie's like, I love him so much. I follow him into battle. He's there for me when I really need him. Eh, but uh, look, come on, let's also be honest. Uh, <laughs> he, yeah. This guy's made some mistakes. Let's not uh, let's not blow it out of proportion here. You know, let's not fulfill uh, you know his uh, ego dreams right there. You know, <laughs> yeah, yeah, that is a great moment for me. So yeah, we could definitely do a uh, long, long episode of Star Wars ranked about that. But for now, we're gonna call it. Uh, that's uh, some great questions from Patrick, Andrew, Mando himself, and Flavillus Skywalker. Thank you all for the great questions. Oh man, yeah, that was a great round of questions. We always do, but I just love the ones that you know you get them, and uh, Joseph usually Joseph usually pulls them and sends them over. And uh, gosh, I just uh, you get all like, oh, this is a, an episode I want to talk about. Uh, you know, each question's its own episode. So, anyways, uh, I'll sh- I'll stop rambling. Thank you. So much. <laughs> Yeah, so uh, you want to tell people where they can find us? Yeah, oh my gosh, I just I looked at the notes. I was like, oh yeah, we have reached the end of the show. Sorry, everybody. <laughs> After 269 of Force Center in the books. And if you want to follow us on Twitter, you can do so at Force Center Pod. We are on Instagram, Facebook as well, Force Center Podcast over there. Give us a like. Uh, you can subscribe on YouTube, rate and review wherever all the podcasts need rating and reviewing. And we're available on a lot of different spots, including Anchor, iHeartRadio, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, and Amazon Music now, among others. Just search wherever you like your podcast. If we're not there, let us know. We'll try to get on there. Uh, merch is available at tpublic.com slash user slash center. You can support us at patreon.com slash center. Always love new Patreons to join the family because whatever level you join at, you get to slide on into the Discord community. <laughs> and we have a very, very just warm, supportive, fun uh, at times, very funny Discord community talking about all things in Star Wars and truly is just um, a safe, comforting place. Even when there's disagreements, it's just done in a way that is uh, u- unique, uh, you know, uh, hopefully not unique to too many of the Star Wars communities out there. But to the Force, Force Center community, just, I don't know, just can't say enough about our, our listeners who jump in there and have the conversation. So you can join uh, that uh, via Patreon.com slash Force Center. Uh, we have our own things that we uh, love doing even outside of Star Wars. You can go uh, follow me at Ken Knapsack or go to KenNapsack.com for information on all those things. And, uh, you know, we, uh, we always do like to highlight uh, charities and uh, things of interest uh, to us in the real world. And I wanted to shout out one that was recommended to me by a friend of the show, John Bishop, He's done a lot of Star Wars podcasting, blogging, and writing over the years. Uh, John uh, is highlighting uh, a friend of his had a big fundraiser on Saturday uh, but it goes on, and this is for uh, an event that is uh, a fundraiser for um, uh, people who have uh, vascular birthmarks, and uh, they're trying to get to some people to Disneyland, to Walt Disney World, and you can go to birthmark.org slash campaign slash magical news live 2020. That's a long link. I get it, but uh, we'll drop it in the description as well, and you can head over there. They're uh, raising money and interest and attention for that cause there. That is great stuff. Uh, and thank you for highlighting that. Um, yeah, for myself, uh, Ken, this is actually something you and I were talking about off air that I wanted uh, to highlight because I actually looked up the information. Uh, so for one of my uh, birthday gifts back in August, uh, my wife gave me 
this really adorable plush sea otter. And I was like, that's great. Mm-hmm. And, like, and she said, and here's your certificate. Uh, so there's this uh, great program through the Sierra Club that you can find by just uh, Googling Sierra Club plus uh, Sea Otter, uh, where you can get different packages. Uh, one of them includes uh, this incredibly cute plush uh, sea otter, and uh, it goes towards helping to protect uh, the environment uh, that sea otters need to thrive in. All those details are there. So if you would like a very adorable sea otter plush and to help uh, the environment, help the sea otters, just uh, Google search Sierra Club plus sea otter, which is a fun thing to do all by itself. And that this uh, website will be the first hit. Uh, and then for my other adventures, you can find me on Twitter, Instagram at Joseph Scrimshaw and my website, josephscrimshaw.com. I am going to check out that Sierra Club link. I actually was part of a Sierra Club uh, high school group in my senior year. So, uh, hey, go back full circle so I can get an otter plush and help the otters. That's right. <laughs> uh, yeah, follow Joseph, uh, like you said, at Joseph Scrimshaw and uh, all those things. Uh, thank you all, Force Center fans, for uh, following us, uh, just celebrating Star Wars with us, diving into themes, celebrating the news. We love it. So for the child and those eggs that he didn't eat, we'll see you next time on Force Center. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello HelloFresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.